morning. Good singing this morning. It's good to, to hear the joy in your voice, and to hear the, uh, the emotional expression of, of the, the reality of your heart, that you are a saved individual, a person who God has indeed reached down and reconciled back to himself. And as a body of believers, we rejoice together this morning. We have um, a knowledge of the Savior, a knowledge of the one who has given us so many great things. And even as pastor has read the passage this morning, we're reminded of this timeless truth that empowers us and changes us. And allow me to remind us just of a couple verses here this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to, be, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. These verses remind us of the real meaning of Christmas and as we look to the real meaning of Christmas, we think of just how important those things are compared to what the rest of the world offers. One of those things is Christmas movies. My favorite Christmas movie in this time of year is It's a Wonderful Life. And that movie is about a character named George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart in the 1946 classic. And he's from a small town in Bedford Falls. And as he grows up and he's, he wants to see the world, he wants to go build great things and design skyscrapers, and he wants to do great things. And yet, life pushes him down, and life says no. And he stays stuck in this small little town. And it's really a sad movie. It brings him to a place of exhaustion, a place where he even brings himself to almost suicide. And we're not going to talk about the theology in this movie because the, the, angel, the angelology in this movie is just horrific. It's, it's awful. I mean, I love the character, but angels are not these blinking lights that talk to each other in the sky. And this movie speaks of the joy that was lost in the life of George Bailey. He lost the joy that came from seeing that he did lead a wonderful life. And you may note also in other similar Christmas movies, think of Hallmark movies, they're all the same, basically. A, you open on a small town, maybe a mountain town, maybe a Midwest town, and it's just bustling with Christmas spirit. Everyone is always in a good mood. Nothing's ever happening that's, hor that's horrible or sad. Everyone's in a, gr in a great mood. That's real life. And a city slicker comes in in a Camaro or a BMW or something like that and a big overcoat and he comes in and he either wants to win the heart of a girl or he wants to uh, change the town or leave the town or something like that. And he spends another, another 45 minutes to an hour trying to chop firewood or uh, take care of reindeer or something that only country men can do. And he's looking for this thing called Christmas spirit. He's wondering why these people are so excited. And then at the end, they, they have this warm, fuzzy feeling where they, they find that they need to rediscover the Christmas spirit that was inside of them all along. And this Christmas spirit is 
really superficial. This Christmas spirit is really something that doesn't last. It doesn't give us hope for the future because people have jobs and people go through difficult times and people lose family members and they are hit financially. And those movies don't touch those things. But fortunately, we have a savior and we have a hope and we have a joy that touches those things, that gives us an enduring hope, that gives us an enduring joy. And it is my hope that this morning we would keep our joy, keep our joy in Christmas, keep our joy in our Savior. Knowing this passage is very familiar, this passage is something we've read a million times over and over again. And yet our joy should never fade because this God is for you. This God is not just something that we read once a year, something that we read in our Bible plan. This This God is someone who has come down to reconcile us back to our creator. And it should, it should light us up. It should change us and transform us every single day. And as we begin this study of this very familiar passage, we begin with a declaration from a very worldly source. And this source is Caesar Augustus. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. The source here of this declaration is Caesar Augustus. Notice first a very interesting thing here that that I found in in, in my study that the title here for Caesar is not the title of of his Greek title, Sebastus, which you would probably expect in the literature of the time. It's actually his Latin title. And the reason Luke likely does this is because the Greek title evokes divinity towards the emperor. It evokes power and authority and might to the emperor. In fact, when the emperor passes away, they they mourn and they comfort themselves as though he is a god because he is alive. But he is not. It is interesting that Luke juxtaposed Jesus, the divine savior of the world, the creator of the world, he is come, the savior of the world is come. He is divine with this man who is claiming to be divine. This decree is to all the world, all the Roman world, to be registered. And the the purpose for this is really twofold. Any any census is, is used to provide an accurate account of a military strength or the size of its nation. And also to update for, it's an update for tax records. They can collect more income. And this decree comes in a very secular place. And yet God is going to do something great with it. And as we look at this familiar journey, verses 3 through 5, we see some familiar characters as well. We see Joseph and Mary. Verses 3 through 5 say this. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. These travelers here are important. God is using these people on purpose. And as God uses these people, he uses these people because they're willing, because they love him, and because... They're in his will. This, this Joseph here, 
is of the house and lineage of David. We know of the promises of David. We know that David was promised that there would be a king that would rule forever. In fact, just one chapter earlier, Luke says this again. He says he will bring, he, verses, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It is important that God is fulfilling his promises exactly in the way that he has said he will fulfill his promises. He is being faithful. He is committing everything to this. And Mary, his betrothed, to be married, is with child. She is a virgin and she is with child of the Holy Spirit. And the destination here is Bethlehem of Judea. This is an interesting place. Another thing that is prophesied, this is the city of David. In fact, in Hebrew, it means a house of bread. Micah predicts that the Savior who said, Bethlehem is, is a Hebrew word meaning house of bread. Micah predicted that the Savior who said to us, I am the bread of life, and he that eats of me shall never die, would be born in Bethlehem in the house of bread. He is the bread of life. He is from the house of bread. This, this Bethlehem is prophesied also in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are you to little among, us, among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth to me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. This is prophesied. This is secured. This is guaranteed. And when this prophecy was made, it is as sure as it was in this moment. And it is beautiful that this journey, although difficult, would prove to be fruitful, would prove to be a beautiful sign of God's love for us. As Mary is pregnant, as she is with child, as she is on this donkey and, and Joseph is leading them to Bethlehem, this is, this is a, a path of faith, a path of righteousness, a path of obedience towards what God has for them and God has promised to them. And now we come to this pivotal moment in time, this time that will change history, will change eternity past and eternity future. Verses 6 and 7, this is the birth. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This beautiful moment in time is very interesting because it comes in a very humble place. It comes in a place where there's, there's just no room for them. There's no hotel room. There's no relatives to stay at. There's, there, there's nowhere they can go. So they're in a cold barn. They're in a cold barn. And he is wrapped in swaddling clothes. He is laid in a manger in a feeding trough because there's no room for them in the inn. And yet, this Savior, this King, this Eternal One is here to save us in the most humble of ways. What does this say to us? This says that God is not just here for the kings. God is not just here for the wise men. God is not just here for the shepherds. He is here for the carpenters. He is here for every single person. His 
humbleness is going to be marked in his ministry as well. He is a man who is not unwilling to go to the lepers and the lame. He is humble. Because he came to forgive sins. He came to heal. He came to the people who are sick. And this wonderful birth of a Savior brings us to a response, brings us to a reaction. And this reaction is is really sprung forth from an announcement that is made by angels. And that brings us to a message of hope in the next several verses. I'll read verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping over watch keeping over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those who are among, whom, among whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told concerning them, this child. And all those who heard it wondered at at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all who had heard and seen and what had been told. We have a beautiful message of hope that has been delivered, not to kings, not to wise men, not to the, the rich of the community, not to the mighty, but to shepherds. These outcasts. These men looked down upon by regular people. They're in a humble setting. They're in a shepherd's field. And all of a sudden, angels overwhelm them. An overwhelming sight appears. An angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. It's interesting to note that neither Mary nor Zechariah saw this in their prophecies here. And just as many times we see in the Old Testament, as an angel appears, there is great fear. Why is there fear? There is fear because there is power, and there is glory, and there is perfection. And as these, these shepherds, these humble shepherds, are just going about their business. They see this great sight and they're fearful. And the angels want them to know that there's nothing to be worried about. There's no fear to be had. Because fear not. Well, why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. And as they breathe a sigh of relief, they're probably just still in shock of what's happening. And they're thinking, what could this possibly be? Why are you here? Why are you coming to us? Are we going to die? And as they, they, they ponder their life and they think, what's going to happen next? They, they hear this. For unto you is born this day. This is a present reality in their lives. 
This is not something that will happen in another 400 years. As those of faith who have waited silently for 400 years, they now have this great announcement from angels. This is presently happening right now for them. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know that Jesus means the Lord is salvation? He is our salvation. He is the one who rescues us. And the angels give them a sign. He says, it says in the passage, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's one of those things where it's very particular. It's one of those things that only they could know. Only God would know, and only God would give this message. And as they hear this, they're, they're probably thinking, this is the oddest thing that's ever happened to me. And yet it's the coolest thing. And things that, it's, it's the thing that will define who they are going forward. In fact, they, they can't help but proclaim what has happened everywhere they go afterwards. And you would think that this would be enough for them. I think they would have been fine with that. But the passage continues, and suddenly, unexpectedly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. This is a doxological statement. In fact, it is It is not only used here. It's used in the triumphal entry. In Luke 19, it says, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A form of this phrase is used by Paul in Ephesians 3, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Glory to God in the highest. It's one of those things we can say, we can declare, we can sing, and we can, we can show the world this because it is true. And we can show the world this because it has, has impacted us. And it, it just flows out of our hearts. Glory to God. Because the more that we look at us, lowly shepherds, compared to this great God, we think we're nothing. And as we look at who God is, we see his justice, we see his mercy, we see his love, we see who he is. And the fact that he has sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And he has chosen to do this through this miraculous birth. It just humbles us to the point of no end. Where we think, why would God do this? The answer is he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. It is a Sunday school answer, but it is the right answer. It is a beautiful answer. God loves us. He also talks about peace, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. I think this peace speaks to many different things. I think it means peace being reconciled back with God. I think it's also talking about the peace that is promised in the future kingdom of God. The peace that is promised that is uh, making our hearts satisfied with who God is, bringing us into a relationship with him and and bringing us into comfort of spirit because of who our God is. You and I can have peace. You and I can know peace and we can look forward to a future home of peace 
for all of eternity because of this Savior. Peace to all men. He has come to bring peace. This peace is shalom. This is blessedness. This is fullness. This is the peace that passes all understanding. And as we have peace through this Savior, we ought to show the world why we have peace. It shouldn't just stop with us. It shouldn't just rest in us and say, well, I'm fine. The rest of the world's falling apart and there's no hope, but I'm fine. That's not loving. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we receive the love of God, as we receive the love of God manifest in Emmanuel, God with us, it should move us, it should change us in our evangelism, in our discipleship, in every relationship that we have to care about people, to care about what they're going through, to ask them how they're doing and to pray for them and not just say that we're praying for them but actually pray for them and be concerned about the details. It should move us to be full of concern and full of love for other people. And that is the message, this, this message of glory to God in the highest that, that moves these shepherds to a great response. In fact, they they're, they're have a joyful journey ahead of them and that, that destination they're going to is this Bethlehem that has been promised. To see this thing that has happened to which the Lord has made known to them. And they're not just meandering around. They're not just taking the scenic route. They're going with haste. And I would say they probably lost some sheep along the way. They probably sacrificed for this because this, nothing else in the world was more important than seeing this baby, this Jesus, the Son of God. And they did find him. And they saw the baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, just as the angel of the Lord had told them, as the messenger from God had declared to them in radiant display. And as they're looking at this child, and they're looking at the love that, the, that, that Mary and Joseph have for this child, and they, they see this beautiful scene, they must have been moved to many emotions. Moved to seeing a first-time mother and father holding their child, but also moved to seeing the Savior of the world, the one who would deliver them from their sins, and knowing that they had hope, not because... They had sold enough sheep that year. No. They had hope because of this child. And you and I have hope because of this child. And that shouldn't just be something that happened 2,000 years ago. I hope that today, that as you woke up, that you felt the joy of the Lord. That as a believer, you understood that I am a saved person. I'm a person that knows I'm going to heaven because I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to that he paid for my sins, and I can trust in his blood that he loved me enough to die on a cross for my sins. And if I have that joy in my heart, nothing should change. Whether it's December 25th or March 8th or June 11th, whatever day you want to pick, that doesn't change. And as the, the shepherds are looking at this baby, they respond and they have this joy 
And they respond by making this saying known to everyone, to all who would hear them, and some who probably didn't want to hear them. And as they're in this crowded town, many, many people are hearing about the birth of a Savior. Many, many people are hearing about Mary and Joseph and the baby. And they respond by rejoicing. In fact, as they return, they're glorifying God for all they had seen, heard, and what had been told them. Their response to this message of hope and this manifestation of Jesus, of, of God, this God with us, Emmanuel, is glorifying God. It's the same message they were given, glorifying God. And as we come to our response, we have to know that our response can be nothing else. Did you know that it's possible to become unimpressed with miracles? Many people in Jesus' ministry became unimpressed with his miracles. And even think of of manna in the wilderness, of the Israelites, of people who were blessed every day with manna from heaven that was nourishment for their bodies. Yet they complained because it was the same thing every day. God is blessing us every day with this manna. What are we going to do? It's so boring. God is blessing you with nourishment so you don't perish in the wilderness because he loves you. Don't grow unimpressed with miracles. Or what about the Israelites when they demanded a king? They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to to show the world they could have all the military might. They could live like everybody else and they could just, they could fit into the rest of the world. They became unimpressed with God's leadership. As we look back at the birth of our Savior today, let us not become unimpressed with who our God is. It is not just exclusive to this passage of Scripture. Think about every single truth you have been taught in Sunday school, in your personal devotions, in preaching, in teaching, in everything. Don't become unimpressed with who God is. Let the joy of the Lord overcome you. And let that overflow to the people around you. Let them see that this person really is passionate about this. When you talk to somebody, you typically know that there's one or two topics that that person's going to want to talk about. Like if this person at work always talks about the Dallas Cowboys, like you know, have something ready for them. If you're a person at work that they have no idea you're a Christian and they're not ready to talk about spiritual things because they don't think you even are spiritual. That's a problem. They should see the joy of the Lord in your face. You should be overflowing with what I learned on Sunday. I learned from Ephesians that God is so gracious and so good and that he has this design for the family, and you should be so overwhelmed with what you're learning. And as this is a Christmas message, it is more than a Christmas message. This message of hope that we have a God who loves us and we should respond to the love of God by showing love to the rest of the world. And that means sharing the gospel. That means discipleship. That means being a faithful Christian.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for every single thing we have learned and that you have taught us through your spirit. I pray that you would empower us with the joy of the Lord to go out and to show the world that we are different because we have this hope. I pray that it would change us this week. In your son's name, amen.